welcome to the Spoon Carving Conversations podcast, where I talk to spoon carvers from around the world about how and why they carve spoons. I'm Simon Pooley, and in this episode I talk to Tad Kepley. Tad is a passionate spoon carver from Lexington, North Carolina. Tad started carving spoons after his retirement from law enforcement in 2015, and he was hooked from the start. It has since become a big part of his life, and Tad carves nearly every day. And early on, he discovered the joy of attending markets where he can sell his work, be around people, and most importantly, spend time carving. His enthusiasm for the craft is very obvious and inspiring. We talk about Tad's carving process and why he sought mentors early on. I really enjoyed talking to Tad, and I hope you enjoy listening. There we go. Good morning, Tad. Thanks for joining me. Good morning. Thank, thanks for having me, Simon. Yeah, I'm really uh, happy you could uh, join me and for me to yeah ask us some questions today and get to know you a bit better. So it's morning for you. It's evening for me, afternoon here in Germany. And so I just thought I would start off by asking you what you're, what you're kind of carving at the moment. Or um, if you do carve today, I'm not sure, maybe you already have, or maybe you're planning to, if you could just kind of talk a little about what you're carving currently and maybe just describe a little bit about how that would look, like where you do your carving currently. Um, and that will give us a bit of a picture. I carved a little bit today. For example, I did it inside here. It's quite cold at the moment. So I just had a a blank in the fridge and a plastic bag. That's how I keep my blanks. And then I got one out. My kids were here. I knew I didn't have a long time. So I took a blank and uh, carved a little bit in the kitchen today. That was my carving for today. And what, what do you have planned? Well, uh, you're a little ahead of me uh, today. I have not carved anything today. Uh, I have been carving fa- fairly regular lately. And like you, um, I, I keep a, uh, I've got a separate freezer that I keep in my garage that's just dedicated to billets. And, uh, and uh, it, it's right full. And uh, I like to, uh, when I'm heavy on wood, uh, get billets in the freezer. And I like to make what, what I call miniature two-by-fours. And they're, they are my billets to pull out and make spoons. And I've done that here in the last week or so. I've pulled out several billets. And the, the advantage to that is uh, you can make a spoon rather quickly when you've got the billets prepared like a little miniature two-by-four. Say, uh, for me, uh, 12 inches by, you know, an inch and a half or so. Uh, you can make a cooking spoon, eating spoon, whatever you want to. But uh, I, this, this time of year for me, um, I, I call it my off season uh, because I do a lot of the uh, farmer. Uh, I do a regular farmer's market here in the town where I live. And it generally runs from about May until October. And then we have a couple of special markets in November and December. And so uh, I'm, I'm preparing for my spoons to sell uh, and show on Saturday mornings. Um, and so that season's going to start about the first Saturday in May. Not to not to mention, uh, you know, have a show in April, a big a big show in April, and um, so um, 
not only am I preparing uh, for the farmer's market on Saturday mornings or shows, but uh, it also gives me the ability to play a little bit. When I when I say play, uh, I'm making more of the things that I want to make, not necessarily just what I think somebody wants to buy, such as I've been making some cuxes lately, mm-hmm. and I really, I really enjoy that. And sometimes I'll venture off and do uh, several other things too. But um, I got some uh, some cherry recently and made a couple of cuxes out of that. And I like to use applewood as well. But um, uh, uh, so I'm, I'm playing and making those cuxes, but I'm also kind of getting getting going again to start getting some cooking spoons and eating spoons, coffee scoops, uh, because I know that's what folks like to buy at the farmer's market and the shows that I attend. But but I hadn't got there today, but uh, it'll probably happen mm-hmm. a little bit later on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You will. So you would, do, you do carve every day then? Unless uh, maybe you're usually, sick or? I'll carve about six days a week, Simon. Yeah. Um, and so uh, on average, um, some weeks less um, but, uh, I, I would say on average, I, I would probably carve at least, uh, for a couple hours, uh, six days a week. Uh, there have been times when I'd carve for 10 or 12 hours a day. Wow. Um, and, uh, you know, what that look, what that looks like for me is I, I, in my garage, um, I'll, I'll pull my Jeep out and, I've built tables much like what other folks have out of, uh, uh, you know, make a chopping block and uh, use three dried legs from some cherry and then uh, uh, use a green block. And so I'm out there in my garage and I'm making, I'm, I'm preparing the spoons and roughing them out. And then in the evening, just where I'm sitting right now, in the evenings, I may spend three, four hours just finishing spoons and, and have several going at, at one time. Uh, and so I like to finish them up here in my carving room that I'm in now. So that's kind of what that looks like for me. Uh, I'm getting to a point, Simon, where when I start a spoon, I like to get it as close to finished as I can, depending on how wet it is. Um, but um, I found out that you know, just roughing 25 spoons out and then leaving them laying, you're not as efficient, I don't think, uh, trying to get all of them done uh, doing the finish carving. But uh, mm-hmm. for me, for me, I mean, I've been carving now for about eight years. So it's, uh, I find that getting them as close as I can or getting them real close is much better for me um, in terms of uh, finishing you know, my spoons, but, uh, mm. you know, it's all, it's always exciting for me. You know what, no matter what time of year it is when I'm carving, I'm having a good time and I'm, I'm enjoying it because, uh, I'm very passionate about it. Um, uh, and, uh, I just love to carve spoons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Me too. <laughs> it's fascinating huh? how it, how it can really yeah draw us in. I think I, when I wrote, I, I mentioned that how fascinating that is how 
I think you're teaching also, and I've uh, shown a few friends and explained how to carve and kind of taught them. And a few of them have kind of enjoyed the time there, but that was it. And uh, some others have really taken off with it, much like I did. Once I carved that first one, it was like, oh, I want to try the next one and the next one. And yeah, it's quite interesting, isn't it? How that, uh, for whatever reason, catches with some people, really clicks. And with others, it's maybe enjoyable at the time, but it's not something they kind of yeah have to have to follow up and with you how did you eight years ago what was your work was it something in this direction or yeah sam and i i retired uh, uh right at eight years ago i had spent 30 years in the, in the law enforcement field just like my father he okay. spent 31 years and uh so I retired back in 2015, and I took about four months uh, once I retired, and, and I really didn't do anything other than um, just do exactly what I wanted, meaning that I spent some time in my uh, uh, room that I had uh, made upstairs. And um, I, it's so ironic because um, I just reached over one day and picked up my grandfather's um, whittling knife. My grandfather was born in 1899, and he didn't start carving till he was 83. And he carved more ducks and birds than you and I can count. And um, he was a phenomenal carver. And uh, this is one of the this is one of the little uh, uh, birds. This is a oh, nuthatch. Wow. Uh, I'm sorry, a wren that he carved, and he carved nuthatches, wrens, any kind of bird, ducks that you can imagine, and he liked to put them on natural stands. But um, he he carved uh, right up until he died when he was 99 years old, and. He didn't sell them. He gave them away to family members. And like I say, uh, he carved so many. And I have a bunch of them, uh, mm -hmm. all different sizes from owls to um, all, small birds like this. And, of course, uh, my dad got into carving uh, in his retirement days. My big brother, Kent, has been carving for about 50 years. And... Uh, even my twin brother, uh, who was killed in a car wreck when we were almost 17 years old, he was carving, and I didn't even realize he was carving. Matter of fact, this is this is a lock and chain that my twin brother carved uh, when, well, yeah. uh, like I say, when we were 16 years old, and he carved wow. other things too. Uh, but uh, when I when I reached over and picked up my grandfather's whittling knife. I picked up a dowel like this, and then I carved. I carved this, uh, which was a. Uh, it started out like a fifty caliber, but it ended up as a thirty alt six, uh, and that's okay. Uh, but I liked it, and it was the first thing I ever carved. Yeah. And um, when I during that four month period, I spent a lot of time with my parents, and my mother was showing me. Uh, all the things that my big brother had carved. He carved this spoon for my mother made out of a piece of maple. And I remember, tell, I remember telling my mother, 
uh, I was so intrigued by how smooth the bowl was. And I was very intrigued by this spoon. And I told my mother, I said, I, I've got, I want to try that. I just didn't know I was going to carve, you know, almost 3000 more. <laughs> um, but um, it's like some people say there's a, uh, there's something about spoon carving that is very habit forming. And I think when I, um, uh, over a period of time, I, I really just, um, absolutely became very passionate about being able to make a spoon in a relatively short period of time that somebody else can use and get a lot of joy out of. And mm -hmm. so this, this spoon out of maple is really what got me into spoons. I had done some other things out of wood uh, with my father, um, and he kind of helped me start moving along. Mm -hmm. And um, But uh, that particular spoon right there is what got me into spoon carving. And ironically, I didn't know anything about the Greenwood spoon carving community. Uh, the only thing I knew when I first started, Simon, was a um, – a belt sander and a bandsaw. That's all. That's all I knew, and that's the only way I knew to make a spoon. Mm -hmm. And I didn't make medium like that. I soon found out about the Greenwood spoon carving community through uh, the the Greenwood uh, group that's on Facebook, and mm -hmm. then later on uh, on Instagram. And um, when I found out about uh, being able to use an axe and green wood and using only hand tools, I was hooked mm. and, and, uh, literally couldn't, couldn't put the axe and the knives down. <laughs> and so, um, it's just been fantastic. Um, and I, I literally learned everything that I know about Greenwood spoon carving on YouTube. That's how I learned. I didn't have anybody to teach me about Greenwood spoon carving. Uh, so I, I learned it all on YouTube. Okay. Wow. It's funny how from such a simple thing, you carve something, but then you, you see the spoon that your brother carved and that just already like gets the light bulb. I want to do that. And yeah. And then here you are, like you say, thousands of spoons later, your brother. So he carves also, and he carved this spoon. Is he? Would you call him a spoon carver, or is he not as uh, specific as yourself? You are very much carving spoons now, and he is uh, didn't go quite down this one uh, lane, so to speak. Yeah, correct. He he is he is more in. He does not carve green wood. Mm -hmm. uh, he carves dry wood. And here's a you know this is an example of uh he loves to carve walnut and um he uh does more carving more relief carvings and he likes to use hand tools but it doesn't matter to him he'll use power carving tools uh just as much as he'll use hand tools mm -hmm. um but he does a lot of relief carvings eight by eleven using walnut plaques and draws it out, traces it, and then and does relief carvings with uh, gouges uh, and that kind of thing. He's very, uh, you know, talented, super talented, really. Um, 
and I get a lot of inspiration from my brother uh, and some of the things that he comes up with. He he loves to do natural pieces. He may be riding down the road and see a piece of wood uh, up on a hill or something, and he's got to get it and he's got to carve it, and he'll he'll he can make a masterpiece out of it. Uh, uh, so he's really got an eye for things, but um, he is not a spoon carver uh, per se. He's only carved, I think, a couple spoons over the last, say, 50 years, um, mm-hmm. uh, 40 to 50 years. But um, I, I think like you, Simon, I took to it and I found a niche. And uh, although I have carved a lot of different things, whether it be uh, coffee bag clips or uh, coat hooks, uh, I've done, uh, you know, shrink pot, uh, little small bowls by hand. Uh, Mm -hmm. I keep, I come back to spoons. Spoons is where I always come back to. And that's what I really enjoy doing. And um, I may be different from most people in terms of the model that I use in terms of carbon. I don't, I guess you could call it a business model uh, in some respects. Uh, but for me, what happens is uh, I got the word out eight years ago and uh, that, you know, if you had a tree that went down in a storm, uh, whether it be an apple tree, cherry tree, uh, beech, whatever, birch, uh, that I would, uh, carve you a spoon and gift it to you from your tree. And in turn, they would give me some of the wood. And that's been my business model for eight years. And just about any time I have ever got uh, about to run out of green wood, the phone rings. And yeah. some I'll say, Tad, I've got a cherry tree that went down in storm. And I'll say, okay, here we go. I'm going to carve you a spoon and I'm going to gift it to you. And it has been the best business model for me in particular. And uh, I don't, uh, because I'm retired, I don't do it per se to make money as much as I do to just reinvest in the tools that I have uh, because um, I, I, w- I don't know that I'd, I don't really know that I call myself a tool collector uh, because I use everything that I have. I don't have any uh, uh, safe queens. I, I use them all and I enjoy them all, but I like tools and I mm-hmm. like carving knives and I like carving axes. And so uh, when I uh, sell my spoons, I turn around and I buy more axes and buy more knives, et cetera, or other tools. But um, I, I get a kick out of being able to hand somebody a spoon that I've carved from their tree and they have something that they can use and they can hold on to that they'll always know come from their tree. And mm-hmm. I get a, I get a lot of joy out of that. And so uh, uh, for me, it's just a win-win situation uh, because I typically get more wood and I carve more spoons and you know, as much as I do, every tree's different, every piece of wood's different. And it's so exciting for me to crack it open. And uh, I call it opening a box of Cracker Jacks to see what kind of prize is in the middle, you <laughs> see. Uh, yeah. And so uh, 
are you familiar when I say Cracker Jacks, uh, uh, we, uh, used to get Cracker Jacks when we were kids and, uh, uh, there was always a little prize inside the, uh, you know, inside the, the Cracker Jacks. And so for me, that's what it's like being a kid again and getting to see, you know, how beautiful the grain is and, uh, and all the different things about each piece of wood. Mm-hmm. And so it's always exciting when the phone rings and, um, it's always exciting to crack open the first piece to see what's inside. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I can relate to that. Uh, totally. Yeah. And then, so, yeah, it, it sounds like that's a perfect system. Once people know that uh, that you're yeah, making these spoons and things and they tree and they uh, talk to their neighbor. Uh, how did it originally start? Was it all word of mouth? You let people know locally that you knew or did you ever have to advertise or something? I guess often once it takes off, the word of mouth can be a very powerful thing. No, somebody has given you wood before and know someone and it can uh, take care of itself. Is that how it happened with this? Yeah. And for me, Simon, it was uh, word of mouth yeah. um, because um, uh, when I retired and I, as I first started carving, I got the word out. And, and uh, the other part of this was, um, you know, being at the farmer's market, um, I knew a lot of people from uh, uh, being in law enforcement for 30 years, yeah. uh, uh, got to know a lot of people in, in town. And so uh, just the word of mouth and getting it out and the word spreading like wildfire. And so um, sometimes uh, it's more wood than I can, you know, even handle. Um, but, but, um, uh, not only, not only that, but like other folks, I have tapped into some other resources, uh, local, um, uh, tree, tree trimmers and, uh, folks who are in the business Mm -hmm. of, um, uh, doing tree work, uh, got to know some of those folks and, uh, those folks call every once in a while. Uh, with with wood the size that nobody else can use, sometimes a spoon carver can use, and yeah. so that's been that's been a bonus too. So the combination of those things uh, really has kept me going uh, uh, because I, I, as, as a general rule, I tell people I've never bought a piece of wood. Well, that's not totally true. Now I bought one uh, one piece of wood that was about this big. Uh, for $20. Uh, I, I bought one piece of uh, walnut. Uh, but other than that one piece of wood, I, I've never, you know, bought any wood. It's just, uh, yeah. uh, you know, uh, they, uh, you know, I gift them a spoon from their tree and then they give me some of the wood. So uh, it's just, it's worked great. Yeah, very lucky. Um yeah, to have so much wood, I can't imagine how frustrating that must be to want to carve and not have wood. One guest, Greg Nelson, told me that he ended up carving his uh, axe block. He was so desperate, <laughs> so he started carving that. That's luckily never happened to me. Yeah, I'm I'm just close to a big park where there's a lot of trees, and just from that alone, and there's gardens. I I 
very lucky to have never had that problem to run out and yeah you you were the same i see that you have uh, so much wood and a lot of, a lot of apple a lot of fruit trees why is that is there a reason for that are there orchards around you or, or do you particularly uh, look for apple wood yeah i uh, it's uh, funny that you mentioned that simon because um I'll talk just a, a bit about orchard wood as opposed to uh, just um, uh, trees uh, growing in, in, in the wild, if you will. Uh, my, my brother-in-law is a Christmas tree farmer in the mountains of North Carolina. And, um, and so he, he covers a lot of land uh, working Christmas trees in several different counties and um every once in a while um he'll run into those old apple trees that have went down in a storm uh in the mountains just you know way off the beaten path uh you know might have been somebody's apple tree back you know a long time ago mm -hmm. but now it's just out in the middle somewhere and all of a sudden it's went down He'll find a tree that, uh, that's went down, and instead of it just laying there rotten, he'll call me and we'll work it up. And uh, sometimes the apple wood uh, that I get from up in the mountains that goes down in a storm can be the most beautiful apple wood you have ever seen in your life. I call it apple gold mm -hmm. uh, because when I get there and I see it, and then I cut a piece and I, I see that beautiful brown heartwood you know i'll tell him i'll say that that's what i came for right there and um and uh so much of the beautiful applewood that i've got has come from the mountains of north carolina um and and i have uh i do have a friend who uh his he no longer has any apple trees but he did have an orchard and uh, he would call me and I would go get wood from his orchard. But what I found is that wood um, uh, is typically more sap wood and um, just not as good for me making spoons mm -hmm. as those old apple trees in the mountains. Mm -hmm. And so um, not to say that an orchard couldn't be a good place uh, for Applewood, it may very well be in somebody else's area. Uh, but when I compare the two, um, uh, for me, those older apple trees, those bigger ones with that beautiful heartwood, uh, just uh, so much better, you know, for me. So here, you know, uh, even though uh, my brother-in-law's a couple hours from me, uh, I'll easily make that drive uh, when when one goes down in a storm and I have access to it, um, I'm just so excited going to get it, to mm -hmm. see it and work it up. And um, so, yeah, uh, that's how I get a lot of applewood because anybody that follows me on Instagram knows that I love applewood and uh, I seem to have a lot of applewood, but uh, I do try to make the most of it when I do you know, when I do get it. Yeah. And those apple uh, trees growing in the mountains there, yeah, they get 
a lot older. I think in the orchards, they often, after a certain age, they cut them and actually replant. I don't think they let orchard trees well. I'm from New Zealand, and there there's a lot of apple orchards, and maybe it's because they're uh, planted more recently. But I often remember the trees never being these big, old yeah, apple trees. And I'm not sure how old an apple tree can get. Maybe you know, but I'm sure they get very old. And exactly like you say, once they do get old, they just have so much more character. What about the actual grain? I'm thinking these old mountainous ones could be more twisty and a bit more difficult to work. Is that the case? Or if it's big enough, you find a piece that is suitable? Yes, sometimes, Simon. Um in, in, a, in some of those big old trees, you'll get perfect grain. And in yeah. some of them, some of them will be very twisted. And, and you know, I hear a lot of people talk about uh, they don't like apple because of the fact that uh, sometimes the grain is very twisted, mm-hmm. uh, like plum can be sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yet a lot of these trees um, in, in the mountains, uh, they may, you know, the, uh, the school children back years and years ago may have planted a bunch of them in the hills, on the mountains, and uh, some of them may just kind of be by their cells. Uh, 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 but I don't, uh, I, I'm not exactly sure how long apple trees live. I think I've heard where some of them are uh, 70-some years uh, old. Um but I'm not really sure. I'm sure some of them longer and uh, uh, many of them much shorter in time. But um, I never let that, uh, you know, what others are saying or what I hear from others. Uh, I, I, I'm, I try to um, um, carve all the apple that I can get and just evaluate every tree and every piece. Mm-hmm. from what I see. And, um, and for the most part, um, I, I, I get wonderful spoons and, um, maybe because uh, when I first started out, I didn't know how to read wood or understand grain that I learned to carve just about anything, mm-hmm. uh, whether, whether it was twisted or not. And so I think, uh, my ignorance actually helped me, uh, because I didn't know any different. I just didn't understand the difference between a beautiful straight grain piece as opposed to a twisted uh, grain. And uh, so I think the years of carving all kinds of wood really has helped me. Uh, it's only now that I'm beginning to understand uh, the grain and the different uh, how wood twists and that, that kind of thing. But um I, I, a lot of those old trees that I'm finding have some beautiful, perfect grain, uh, and the trees can be hu- huge branches. And, um, and um, so I, I, I see it all. Yeah. Yeah, that's very interesting. What you just said there, especially about you yeah, having taught yourself, whereas if you learned with someone or um read up too much exactly you could somebody could say ah oh, don't worry don't take that piece of wood that's not worth your trouble start with this and and in one sense yeah it makes sense might make your life easier to start with that that bit of wood but i totally agree with you because it was much the same for me 
I would carve any piece and twist it. And I think you, yeah, you, you learn something by kind of dealing with those things early on. And then now we can look for the very straight grained if that's something we want to chase. Um, but a lot of the interest can come with working with those kind of gnarly bits of wood and with some twists and some coloration. So I think there is something in that to not always, yeah, only have to work with the most perfect, perfect piece of wood, but really be willing to let me see what I can carve with this. It's often the case with a crook, isn't it? Like a bent branch or a crook can be beautiful, but it can also be quite tricky. You could say it's easier to start with a flat, perfect piece of wood, but the the crook gives you some good challenges and there's a lot to learn there, I think. And that's something you're also doing. Is that right, Tad? That you're also, when you get a crook, you you do carve with them? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm glad you mentioned that, Simon, because one of the things that I would, I would encourage people in particular with Apple is... Uh, or at least what I found in all those uh, apple trees up in the mountains, I'm going to find all the crooks that I can. And um, I've had some trees that I've come back with. Uh, I've literally cut all the crooks and got them ready and sometimes set them up like boots and mm -hmm. just count how many crooks I got from one apple tree. And I, I want to say somewhere between 10 and 20 crooks sometimes from one apple tree. And I literally, I'll carve them all. And um, I, I think, I think it's because of what I have learned from others about the strength of a spoon with the grain uh, running uh, all the way from the tip of the spoon to the end of the handle on the crooks um, is what uh, is so intriguing uh, and, and, so, and, and often really challenging. And because you just have to learn, you're learning to carve a spoon a totally different way when you're dealing with some of these crooks as opposed to straight grain. It's just two different, it's two different things. Mm. And, um, over the last eight years, I've really learned a lot about carbon crooks, and I've messed up a bunch mm -hmm. uh, uh, dealing with crooks. But the, but when I'm when I mess up, I'm learning, and uh, but it, it, there's a lot of satisfaction in uh, carving a nice ladle, even little tiny ladles. I've carved tiny ladles from uh, little small crooks. Uh, every size in between all the way up to large uh, ladles with crooks. And uh, there's a lot of fun with that. And I love to, I love to, um, uh, you know, kind of show others uh, how that works and, and hoping that somebody else will be able to get the same enjoyment that I get from it. Uh, but yes, I haven't, you know, it's kind of ironic because I haven't had any crooks in a while. I, I just okay. haven't. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of, they can, it kind of runs in strings. And so, um, uh, but, you know, it's, it's kind of like when it rains, it pours. Sometimes you get a bunch of crooks and then you don't have one. You don't have any crooks for a while. And I've had a dry run here uh, for a good while now that we're talking about it and I'm thinking about it. Yeah, I hadn't had any crooks in a while, but uh, they are, for me, they're challenging, but they're fun, exciting. And I think it's because I know that if I'm not very careful, I can lose it. Uh, and sometimes even yeah. when you do it, even when you do your best, you can lose a crook. 
uh, you can lose a ladle. And so, uh, but, you know, that's part of the challenge and that's part of the excitement, I think, and what keeps bringing me back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm just wondering, um, as far as storing your wood goes and your apple wood, because you do have so much, it sounds like you've not run short. Do you actually leave the wood for a while? I know a lot of people, if they have surplus wood, they leave it for some months to to age a bit and to mellow out a bit. Do you do you do that? Yes, I, as a general rule, uh, when I get a lot of wood, whether it's cherry or apple, I will seal the ends. Uh, of the wood, uh, and I, I typically use something like anchor anchor seal. Um, uh, although you can use a whole lot of different things to um, to seal the the ends of the wood. Um, so I typically leave it in the round with the bark on and just seal both ends of the log, no matter how long it is. Obviously. I don't have the advantage of being able to leave like, you know, to be able to store long lengths like 10 mm-hmm. foot, 12 foot. I don't have the ability to do that where I'm at. I'm div- I typically don't have the ability to uh, keep wood much over, you know, two or three foot long at the longest. Now, the longer, the better. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and it depends on how much wood I have on hand. Uh, depends on if I seal it all. If I, uh, you know, sometimes I won't seal all of it. If I know I'm going to be carving these in the next, uh, whatever, in the next month, uh, two weeks to a month, then I'm not going to seal it. Uh, uh, but if I, I, what I always say, if there's a, if there's any doubt, seal it. And then because uh, you you can all you got, you're going to be cutting the ends off of it anyway when you get ready to carve it. Um, and uh, just that's the other part. You just got if you do seal it, just make sure you cut that off uh, when you get ready to carve it. Um, but anchor seal buys me maybe uh, a, an extra couple months for me uh, keeping that moisture in. And so uh, I typically use anchor seal. Uh, it's just a hard thing to judge sometimes at how at what point are you going to be carving that piece of wood? And then um, uh, there are times where I'll go ahead and try to bust it up and go ahead and make blanks and put, put it in the freezer. Mm-hmm. Um, and it depends on how much time you got, when you get the wood, et cetera, et cetera, on whether or not you're going to seal it or, you know, bust it up and make miniature two befores to put in the freezer. Uh, so, um, yeah. all of those, all of those things come into play, depending on how much wood you got and when you're going to be, you know, when you're going to be getting to it. Yeah. 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 It's a, still a bit of a yeah, juggling act. When am I going to be finished these and need some more? Is it worth freezing or, or chopping up or, or not? Yeah. And it's something you can kind of play with as you go. Mm. So. You started carving, and then how long into it did you decide to go to the market? And was the idea there, were you already going to the market before and you knew the scene and things, or was it just a fact if you had all these spoons you've been carving and a kind of logical step is to 
go to one of these markets to to get rid of some spoons, so to say. How how soon did you decide to start doing these markets? Yeah, I I started doing the market pr- pretty early on after I started carving spoons because what happened was I can remember after the first whatever three hundred spoons or so. I was just giving them away to family members and anybody would take them. <laughs> and uh, obviously they, they were pretty ugly at the time. And, uh, uh, but people were just being nice to me, you know, they'd say, Oh, well, thank you so much. You know, and they're probably like, what am I going to do with this ugly thing? But, <laughs> um, but uh, I got to a point very quickly where I was like, I'm carving so many spoons. I might as well, I might as well try to find a market for this and, and try to sell some. And I can't remember if I got some encouragement or what, but I found the, um, the, um, the farmer's market, our local farmer's market fairly early on. And, uh, that, that did a couple things for me, Simon. Again, it wasn't about making money per se, it was a opportunity for me to, uh, I, again, here I'm retired now, whereas now I'm not seeing folks every day like I was. Mm. So I, I got to, number one, I got to make, I get to make spoons at the market and I get to talk about them and I get to kind of showcase Greenwood spoon carbon, hoping that I might hook somebody else into it. I get to talk to the kids, to the adults, and they get to actually see the spoons on the table, but they're actually watching me make them and ask questions. And I'm sure you've heard this, Simon. Some people are amazed that you can make a spoon with an axe and with hand tools within, let's say, a couple hours. Uh, uh, They're just simply amazed by that. And so they... uh, uh, I get to run my mouth, uh, make spoons in front of people, and not, now I've got a now I've got a cra- I've got a um, hobby where I can act, actually make a little bit of money from the spoons, and I get to buy more knives and more axes. And so uh, I think all of those things were intriguing for me by going to the market because number one, I wouldn't have done it if I didn't get to make them while I was there. So uh-huh. I, I, de- I, dedic- I dedicated one of my spoon blocks just for the market. So I've made several different spoon uh, chopping blocks. So I dedicated one to the market. I get to leave everything set up. And so I get to make those spoons. I get to talk about spoons. I get to sell spoons. And I get to buy more, more tools. And so I'm like, this is perfect. This is Makes perfect sense. for me. Yeah, totally. And and so I've often encouraged other folks to find an outlet for them uh, where maybe they can also make them and show people what Greenwood, Spar- Greenwood Spoon Carving is. And then um, all of those other things that come into play just keeps me going back. And I think I think through all of that is – what led me to uh, maybe, you know, well, eventually getting into to teaching uh, spoon carving too. Yep. 
to yeah, carry on connecting with people and having that face-to-face and, and sharing it. So have you, I think I saw on your, on your Instagram, yeah, you showed a, some videos of the market, which is nice. You get a bit of a feeling for it. You can hear some music in the background and people talking. It seems like a, yeah, quite a nice, lively market um, Yeah, with a lot going on. And there's different sorts of markets. Some are more orientated to food, some are more um, like secondhand things, a bit like a flea market. And then some are more really maker's markets where there's a lot of products, uh, which is a lot of, uh, reminds me a lot of the one back home in New Zealand where we used to go to where people had made things, yeah, all sorts of things, clothing and things with bone and stone and art pieces. And I really love that. You, I can spend lots of time at those markets. And this market where you sell, is it one of these markets where there's lots of other products for people? So the people coming there are really yeah, interested in asking you questions and getting involved with these handmade things. Yeah, the, the local market that we have is a mix. I would say it's 75% um, vegetables, food, things, uh-huh. and then 25% um, uh, craftsmen. So you might have somebody there that does pottery, somebody that does leather work or other crafts along with me uh, being a spoon carver. So, so it's a, it's a mainly um, uh, vegetables, uh, local uh, food market, mm-hmm. and then uh, 25% uh, crafts uh, like myself. Um, and so uh, the advantage, the advantage to the local um, farmers market is that you know it runs every Saturday uh, from May to October, not counting the uh, special markets in November, December. Um, and so, but but I'm like you. Uh, I do a couple of the other markets that are uh, pretty much all crafts folks. Um, uh, I've got one in particular that comes up in April that's at the uh, Tanglewood Park in Winston-Salem uh, uh, called Southern Charm at the farm. And there may be 300 different vendors up there where there's uh, doing every, you know, vintage, refurbished type things and then just crafts folks, whether it be pottery, jewelry, uh, wood, wood, all kind of things that you can imagine, and I typically do, you know, two or three of those type markets a year, um, and so um, those are a lot of fun too. Uh, yeah. So it's two two different things, but for me, it's 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 just uh, you know it's the same uh, because I get to make the spoons, I get to take my chopping block and I'm making them at those at those markets too, uh, crafts fairs. And so uh, that's kind of one of my things. As long as I can make the spoons and talk yep. about it while I'm there, <laughs> then then I'm going. If I if I don't get to make them while I'm there, I'm probably not going. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can relate. Yeah, I can. I often have uh, in my bag. I'm outside, and sometimes I'm working, and um, in my bag I often have a blank and a, even a tool there. And like now, I do not mind if somebody comes late. <laughs> If I wait around, like I'm not getting bored these days, uh, I often whip it out and yeah, do some carving in between. I don't have so much time to have 
like a whole day or hours. So with with children, I'm kind of fitting it in between in between the other things. But um, yeah, one question. So I wanted to ask. I'm always thinking about what to carve next and how do we decide. Once no, we've tried these different things we can carve these different types of spoons or even like you say, cookses or, or things like what to decide uh, to carve next. I guess some of that is in your case, kind of what sells well at these markets, um, cooking spoons, scoops, generally, you know, is something people like to use or as a gift. And apart from that, what sells well, yeah, what are those things you've been playing with in your own time? Like some of those things that you decide now I have time, my stock is good for the market. What am I what am I going to carve now? Yeah, I, I think and and I think I'm much like a lot of other greenwood carvers that uh even though I'm primarily a spoon carver, I'm always uh looking for something new um to carve. And one of the things that I've done over the years is I have bought uh, books that are out there uh, from um, uh, from Barn um, and from uh, Mr. Sunquist and um, several other other vendors, uh, folks out there, uh, professional spoon carvers that have sold books that talk about and show other projects outside of just a spoon, whether mm. whether that be a, a coffee coffee bag clip, a um, a coat hook, uh, buttons. Uh, I've I've tried uh, I've tried to do a lot of different things. Number one, because I think it's cool, it's fun, mm. it's greenwood, and for the most part, they're the types of things that are practical that you can use. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's why I I love to carve, you know, cuxes. Uh I'm not good at it, but they're challenging, and I feel like I'm getting better uh, with with cuxes as I go. Um, and so uh, all of those things are fun. I, um, I every once in a while I'll I'll carve a canoe uh, because I found that, you know, what well, whether it's a, whether it's a spoon or a little canoe, I found out I can do them. I can carve it with an ax and a knife, just like I do if I'm carving a spoon. And mm-hmm. so I'm thinking about my grandsons and, and different things when I'm carving the uh, canoes. Um, so if I look back, if, and I keep a lot of things, particularly different things. If I look back at all the different things that I've carved over the last eight years, it'd probably be a tremendous uh, bunch of different things that I've carved out of Greenwood. Number one, because you can. And yeah. uh, but but I get my inspiration and my ideas from books, other spoon carvers, Instagram, uh, social media, um, and so we are so fortunate from around the world to have, we're all connected uh, and we all get inspiration from each other on about what we're going to carve next. And I, just this, just this morning, I'm looking on Instagram 
and I'm seeing the talented people that we have that are carbon cups of, um, I'm just so inspired mm-hmm. by what I'm seeing. And I'm amazed at how good these folks are at what they do. I can't believe it. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, I, I'm so amazed. Yeah. And, and so uh, I'm always inspired. All I got to do is just go back and open up Instagram or open up one of my books and I'm ready to get out in the garage and I'm ready to get my axes and going. I'm, I'm literally inspired by the tools that I have. And so it's, you know, all of those things together, mm-hmm. uh, just make it to where I've got to get back and I got, I got to carve something else. I mean, even today I'm like, you know, I got a, I got a big, nice piece of cherry wood out there that I axed out. Uh, yesterday or the day before that's uh in a bag that's you know still nice and wet i'm like hmm. do i want to do i want to block it out and, and you know carve a spoon or do i want to carve another cup because so, i've carved right many lately and um uh so it's it's just what am i gonna what am what am i gonna ultimately decide to carve with that piece of wood that i've got and um so it's just it's you know, I feel very fortunate to be in the position that I'm in. And um, I, I just, I'm always wanting other people to get, have and experience the same joy that I have from, from Greenwood spoon carving, whether that's a cuxa, whether that's a spoon, a coffee clip, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and the other thing too, I, I love getting these messages uh, from other folks saying, "Hey, Tad, just want to let you know, uh, I I use your spoon every day to stir my coffee, or I use your spoon every day uh, when I'm cooking such and such." You know, those things mean a lot to me to hear other people uh, using something that you carved with a, with a, uh, you know, an ax and a, and a couple of knives, you know? Uh, yeah. so, uh, I'm thankful to be in a position to be able to do this. Uh, I, I tell people all the time that, uh, I only do it because I love it. And I only do it because I'm very passionate about it. There is no work involved mm-hmm. in what I'm doing. If it ever, beca- if it ever, comes to to me describing it as work then Mm -hmm. tad won't be doing it anymore i'll be doing something different because Mm -hmm. i do it for the sheer love of doing it yeah and the fact the fact that i can sell some of them uh is just an added bonus you know yeah it's all it's all it's all about the love of what i'm doing and so um it doesn't get any better than that. Yeah, I think we're lucky. Uh, yeah, to have, to find something exactly like you say. You don't need to motivate yourself to get out of bed and oh, I got to do. It's very much the same for me. That yeah, I'm totally looking forward to the next one and the drive. And I'm not consciously trying to get. Obviously, I would like shapes to improve and develop. But actually, if you just have that drive to carve the next thing that happens more or less on its own, the improvement of what you're making. So 
I totally agree. It doesn't feel like a, it's never felt like much, yeah, much of a struggle at all. It takes care of itself. And yeah, I don't know. Some people that don't seem to have hobbies. Some people you ask, what are you doing? Your free, free time. And some don't have a good answer. Like watch, go to movie, you know? And it's like, man, I feel very much like you that I'm so lucky that I have something that I just, yeah, excites me and gives me this energy. You have collected also a lot of other people's spoons, which a lot of people do the same, right? Which can help to inspire you and just to, um, yeah, see the work of others. I think um, Dan Lawrence, I saw in a post of yours. I'm not sure you have many of his spoons, right? What is it then about Dan that kind of drew you towards his spoons in particular? And do you have are there other carvers which are a real influence to you as much as Dan? Yes. Uh, well, there's two, there's two things that come into play here. Yeah. Um, and, and one is uh, early on, I asked uh, Dan just simply through a message over Instagram. I asked Dan Lawrence and uh, also Derek Sanderson um, if they would be a mentor for me that I was trying to learn to carve spoons and I asked for them at different periods. I think I asked Derek first, would he kind of mentor me and help me? And he said he would. And so we would talk on the phone or we exchange messages and I would send him some of the spoons that I was carving and he would help me. And, and then later on, I did, uh, the same thing with Dan mm-hmm. and, uh, Dan uh, was um, uh, uh, offered to help me, and he would give me challenges uh, to carve certain spoons, and and I would take on those challenges. And uh, I started buying spoons from Dan, Derek, uh, and uh, carvers from all over the world. And what I was doing is I was buying inspiration mm-hmm. and I was learning by actually holding a spoon in my hand, uh, learning from what others were doing compared to what I was doing. So uh, Dan, uh, not only a fantastic teacher, but Dan also is a phenomenal spoon carver, just like Derek is. And so I picked out the one, I picked out those two people because uh, I thought that their spoon carving was just fantastic. That was very inspirational to me. And, um, you know, I, I learned from them by them telling me things, but I also learned by looking uh, at their spoons uh by, you know, just holding it in my hand and analyzing it. And so uh, when I, you know, what I started doing is buying spoons from other spoon carvers who I respected. And um, I I literally have a collection from all over the world. And I actually did a, um, at when we had our uh, um, festival last year, um, the North Carolina Folks had a had a festival last year, and I, I did a little demo. Uh, I took all the spoons uh, spoons from around the world and actually just 
splayed them out and talked about them and let people pick them up and look at them. Uh, I think, I think I've got about, uh, somewhere roughly about 80 different spoons from around the world from different carvers. And, uh, and so I didn't necessarily plan it that way. It's just, that's the way it evolved over the last eight years. And fortunate enough to even have one from the late Mr. Uh, Willie Sunquist, uh, as well as his son too. Uh, Mr. Sunquist carved a spoon for me uh, about three months before he died. And um, uh, so uh, just very fortunate to have a, a spoon collection around the world that I've learned from. And then not only that, I, I, I think I would encourage other spoon carvers that are maybe uh, still learning uh, or are new in it to maybe consider purchasing spoons from folks that they rec- that they respect and even maybe even get a mentor uh, mm-hmm. uh, to to help them along the way because sometimes when you have somebody from the outside uh, that can uh, give you an assessment and help you along the way, I think that's a good thing. Uh, yeah. and, and so those two things were beneficial for me having having a mentor a mentors and uh buying spoons from other um spoon carvers uh to learn kind of firsthand not only that it supports the other spoon carvers so you're accomplishing several things there and uh like i say i didn't i didn't necessarily plan that mm. those things those things just evolved yeah yeah no definitely a good idea have a mentor it's dan is uh in the uk derek i think you said his name was anders is he where's he from is he in the u.s uh, he yeah he's in the u.s in the uh adirondack mountains of new york yeah and he um derek uh sanderson uh was more um in in the game i'd say uh he's been out of the game for about uh three or four years at least um um you know uh, uh i think that um uh changes in life and, and di- different things evolve and so he's not been carving or at least not been on social media i think he's still carving some spoon but he's not on social media like we are and uh, maybe taking a step back but if you uh look up derek sanderson um, and, uh, you see his Instagram page and you see his spoons and some of his little short tutorials, uh, videos, you would understand, you'll understand very quickly why I, uh, so impressed, uh, why I was purchasing spoons from him and why I asked him to be a mentor. And the, these, uh, uh, Derek and, uh, Dan just, do, just done it for me out of the goodness of their heart. Uh, they simply, uh uh done it just for that out of the goodness of her heart and um that that meant a lot to me yeah yeah great yeah i definitely think if someone reaches out and is passionate about a help that's generally in within the community i think think is uh very much the case right like you want to share the joy of it and if somebody comes with a question it's often people are yeah really really generous with their time and information to 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 help with it which is cool and then the mentorship can you remember 
particular things where it really made a difference? Can you remember any like, like, I don't know if it, you were getting more technical advice or feedback on the menu or it was more just the inspiration or or were there some real technical things where it helped you maybe you had a problem or maybe it just changed and made something better does anything pop into mind uh when i ask that question yes yeah. um in, in particular uh early on derek um would encourage me to spend more time with the axe. And I, I think what was happening is I didn't understand that you could uh, get rid of more material with the axe than what I was doing. And I was becoming frustrated spending, for example, uh, way too much time with the knife removing material that I should have been removing mm -hmm. with the axe. Which, so what would happen is I was getting kind of frustrated and bored moving so much material, particularly off the back of the bowl with my knife that should have been removed with the axe. And then I would have been reducing my time of finishing the spoon. So basically, uh, Derek challenged me. He said, listen, I want you to try to finish that spoon the best you can with the axe. You know, in other words, quit being scared of using the axe to carve a spoon. And that hit home. When that hit home, when I started learning to remove more material and try to carve the spoon with the axe, uh, that's the biggest, that was the biggest change. And probably the one thing that kept me um, from getting frustrated and maybe even helping others. Um, I think uh, from uh, the thing that meant the most for, for me from Dan was to um, don't be satisfied with mediocre. In other words, when you think you finished the spoon, then uh, come back to it and, and spend about 30 more minutes with it later on. Mm -hmm. and. Uh, because if you look, if you if you were to look at a uh, look at a spoon carver who you respected, and then maybe compared it to a spoon that you think is mediocre, then we soon figure out that the 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 spoons that are really really well done is because somebody took the extra time to make it fantastic, and that's not so much because. I'm a better carver than you. It's just that I uh, paid attention to the details and I took the extra steps to get to where I could be. And, uh, you know, uh, there were times where I can remember, and this is, this is my own ignorance. There were times where uh, I said to myself or I told Dan that I think I, I think I got this eating spoon figured out only to realize three or four years later that I didn't know what I was talking about. I mean, <laughs> it, it's like we fool ourselves into believing that we've got it figured out. And then uh, we realize, uh, you know, years later that we didn't have a clue. And so um, 
I'm constantly learning and I'm constantly being inspired by all the wonderful spoon carvers that are out there in the world that are on Instagram and Facebook. And um, it's just phenomenal um, how um, great so many of these spoon carvers are now. And so we're just, we're all just constantly learning and trying to get better. And um, yeah, Yeah. I, I think, I think the, the um the spoons that i purchased and the mentors have been uh, a wonderful thing yeah yeah great great tip just for people starting out to uh yeah reach out if there is someone around them or even online and ask questions and who knows what sort of relationships you'll build from that i can totally again relate to you with the what dan said and what you start incorporate about how it just how to take something to that next level is off not necessarily always a, a a thing of skill, but exactly just that patience to have um, to like have an object and yeah, look, is there something I can make a bit better on this? Is there anything I can even out? Is there any little things I can improve on? And often if you have the patience, there are those little things which yeah make such a difference. I, I'm not such a patient person. I've realized through carving spoons, I'm very much like, I want to finish this and kind of start the next one. So that's one thing it's kind of taught me is to like, hey, take your time. You know, the next one, it's not going anywhere and really be here with this before I move on to the next one. I think that's fascinating with the carving that it can really show you some things about yourself and you can choose to act on that. I'm carving a cooksa at the moment and um, I decided to sand it. Often I like just the the cuts, but I really wanted it to be very round and very smooth. So I said like, no, this one I'm going to sand. And now I realize as I'm sanding it, yeah, the little marks to get them out is just taking me so much longer than I thought because I'm sanding by hand. And then I have <laughs> this moment where I'm like, ah, that that's good enough. It's pretty smooth. But now I'm like, I've caught myself and I'm saying, no, no, it's not going anywhere. I'm just going to pick it up and uh, carry on until it's really as smooth as it, as it could be. So this is my challenge to myself. And I think, yeah, it's very helpful for anyone carving to think about that when you're finished. Yeah. Have maybe leave it for a day and come back to it and ask yourself again, is there anything I can yeah, do to improve this? Very cool tip. Ted. Um, what else did I want to ask you about? Yeah, your tools is definitely fascinating. How much, how many tools you you've collected over the over the years? And I guess that's a also a case as to what you're saying. Going further with the axe, this works if you have a good sharp axe, right? If somebody's starting out and has this a blunt uh something you get from the hardware store it's just a whole different thing to uh, a very sharp uh, tool for the job so you're probably much you would recommend to investing uh, in good tools huh that seems to just make a big difference or how, how do you if somebody's starting out what would you suggest maybe it's not well, smart if you don't know it's for you yet but it certainly makes a difference doesn't it the quality of tool yeah, and and I think it is important. 
because when I'm teaching a class or teaching an individual or if somebody, and this happens to me all the time, they'll come up to me at the farmer's market and they'll say, Tad, um, I'm thinking about getting into spoon carving. What would you suggest? How, how should I start? And uh, I'm smart enough to realize that most of the people that I teach and probably 90% of the ones that come up to me and ask me and, or, and say, Tad, I, I want to try this. Uh, 90% of those are probably not going to be at the same level as I am or you. And, uh, you know, even I would say 75% of those ones that I'm teaching at a, a craft school uh, are probably not going to continue on at the level. They're just wanting to learn a new uh, craft, uh, carve a spoon, I've done it, and then maybe move on to something else. And that's fine. So yeah. I'm very careful in, in how I recommend what how they should start. And so I always say, listen, go, go on Amazon or another uh, vendor site and buy you a more a 106 or a 120, probably a one probably a 106 and a, and a, and a hook knife, a more 164, uh, if you're right-handed and you can get into the game, um, with buying a more 106 and a, and a 164, you know, for you know, a little over 50 bucks, uh, us dollars. Um, and, um, and, I'll often recommend like an essential carving axe, like, you know, Josh does down in Florida, Green Haven Forge, you know, you can get into the game or, you know, for like 55 US dollars, you can, you can have a carving axe that is made for carving. And then you can find out if, if spoon carving is for you. Then if you want to, if you want to uh, start uh, buying better tools, such as, Savante Darbe, and I don't know if I said that right, uh, you know, Hans Carlson, Savante Darbe, or all these other uh, um, uh, uh, makers uh, I'm looking up on my wall, um, hmm. uh, Gransford Brook, uh, et cetera, et cetera, Jason London, oh my, all the different ones, then, hey, you can do that. But if you want it, you can get started. You can get started relatively cheap because I'll tell them, look, if you got, you picked up a card, uh, an ax, a, a hatchet at the flea market, local flea market, or one that uh, your dad or grandpa left you, put an edge on it, sharpen it, start out with that and get you, get you a 106 and a 164 and you're in the game. Yeah. Find out. If, and if you're going to, then if you, if you're like me and you all of a sudden say, I like this, Hmm. Now, now you can start looking into some of the custom tool makers, you know, and the list goes on. I could sit here for the next hour and list all the tool makers and uh, not, a, you know, and look, I, I enjoy the friendship that I've made with these makers, whether it's big makers or they're just individuals who make tools uh, I've developed a, a, a good relationship and what I call a friendship with a lot of these folks over the years. Um, and I appreciate what they do. Um, mm -hmm. 
And uh, some of them are spoon carvers too. They make tools and they're spoon carvers, you know, and I appreciate that. But um, I think that we have to be realistic when we're encouraging others, when we're showing others, and we're giving advice in terms of the tools that we think that they uh, could use to get started. I think being realistic uh, uh, that uh, more a 106 or a 164 is a reasonable uh, thing to say to somebody. Now, yeah. uh, there are other tool makers out there that's, you know, somewhere in the level that I would, you know, I could recommend too in terms of uh, names and things, but being realistic in terms of getting uh, quality tools for a low price uh, that are made in Sweden, um, uh, that that is one that is uh, one way to get get that uh, very quickly um, that you can do. And so, um, and and I'm sure there are I'm sure there are others, but um, I get asked that question quite often. Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, that that is one of the recommendations that I'll make at least, um, you know, uh, uh, initially. And not only that, Simon, I tell I tell folks, listen, don't try to do your best to carve what you want to carve and not what other folks want you to carve. I, d- I don't do I don't do commissions simply because I don't want the pressure the stress or the headache. So because I do it for the love of it mm-hmm. and just to buy more tools, I don't do commission. Some people commissions are absolutely perfect and that's what they want to do. And there's no stress involved for me personally. I like to put it out on the table and let people select from what's on the table. And so I, uh, you know, I don't get trapped into having people talk me into making a specific thing for them. Uh, I just don't do commissions. But at the same time, I, I, I try to tell people who will want to get into spoon carving, please try to make sure that what you're carving is what you want to carve and not mm-hmm. what others want you to carve. Because I think we can fall into that trap. And then the next thing you know, we're not enjoying the way we used to enjoy. And mm-hmm. so I, tr- I try to, I try to find a balancing act of that. I'm doing what I want to do as opposed to what I think people want. Mm-hmm. And I think that, I think there's a happy medium. I think there's a happy medium there. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I think that's, I think that's important. Yeah, definitely. Especially for once you go from that step to just carving every now and again, purely for yourself to when you start yeah, going to a market or something and these thoughts come, what's going to sell? What do people want? Yeah. And you can still carve what you like. It's different to a commission, but you still think about what others may may want or sell. It's different for sure. So that's a good thing to have in your mind. Yeah. Um, very cool. What, how was it? I know I've seen a few videos with your, I think it might've been your grandson. How was this then kind of rubbed off on the rest of the family would be maybe a last question to, since you've kind of fell into this uh, spoon carving world and dive deep into it. Uh, yeah. How was that rubbed off? How has that affected friends and family around you? Yeah. I, I think in particular, 
with my my grandsons um, when when I uh, when I first bought uh, my spoon horse. Um, it was kind of a, uh, it was one of those things where, you know, it worked out uh, to start teaching my grandsons some skills very early on and also to be able to do it safely. Mm-hmm. And so the, it's evolved from them being out in the garage with me when I'm, when I'm carving spoons, a lot of times they 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 want to be out there, and I bought them a fro uh, that's their size, and I've I've got mallets for them, and it may not be anything other than they just want to they just want to hit the fro and split wood and make blocks and uh, feel like they're doing what Papa's doing, yeah. and they just want to they want to be a part. Yeah. Now now that has evolved over time to uh, getting them a a more a knife that they can sit and carve with. And they're basically just making curls. They're not really carving spoons per se, but they're they're They are in their mind, they're carving spoons and they're making curls and they're making chips. And my, w- w- what I'm trying to accomplish with them is not force anything on them, but give them some skills at a young, at a young age so that, uh, one day they may come back to it and say, Hey, I want to carve some spoons like Papa showed me how. Because let's face it, as they get older, things are going to become more important to them, whether it's baseball, basketball, uh, all the things that, that, that come uh, to growing up. Mm. Um, the spoons may come back to them at a later time, but they got introduced to a craft. Uh, somewhat like I was introduced from my grandfather, my father, my brother, uh, and others. Um, I'm hoping that, um, they got, that, that they get enough of it that one day that they'll at least have the confidence to come back to it and say, Hey, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do like my papa did kind of thing. Um, and, and so for, I guess, you know, the rest of the family, too, I think that, um, you know, obviously it's it's a good thing to just for me just to get spend time with them. And uh, so it's it's been it's been a good thing. Uh, I think one of the things that uh, has been important for me in spoon carving and um, I think others would say the same thing is, is that it was not forced on to me. Spoon carving evolved because I fell into it for myself, not because it's something somebody wanted me to do, but it's I done it for myself, Mm. uh, not because somebody else thought I should do it. So I think uh, that's part of the why I like it so much is because I'm not doing what somebody said. Hey, Ted, I think you'll like I think you might enjoy spoon carving. It never, it didn't happen that way. It evolved over time. And I'm only doing spoon carving because I fear I wanted to do it for myself. And yep. so I think that, I think that's how other people are too. And uh, it's, it's kind of like when you were talking about, uh, you made the decision to sand that cuxa. Well, mm-hmm. I tell people all the time, 
I don't sand my spoons anymore. When I first started out, I sanded. Well, now I don't sand spoons because um, uh, uh, various reasons. But I tell people, listen, if you if you want to sand the spoons that you carve, you you sand them all day long. You do what makes you happy because there's no right, wrong way. It's all about what you enjoy, what you want to do, and what makes you happy. It I don't don't be don't get caught up in what other people are saying and want you to do. It's all about what you want to do, what makes you happy, and that's all it's about. That's that's what matters at the end of the day. Don't get caught up in what other people think. Yeah. 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 No, I totally agree. And with the, the thing talking about with the grandkids, yeah, not putting too much pressure, do this or how to do this, just let them pick up the tools, let them play and split wood if that's all they want to do because, yeah, through that they're – they're already developing so many skills, but exactly they're choosing what they want to do with my girls. I often, if they're bored at home, I get out the toolkit with nails and hammers and a block of wood and kind of just let them at it. And I don't tell them how to do anything more or less. And they just start playing and nailing things together and screwing. And I'm kind of tempted sometimes to like show them and this is how you, why don't you do this? And I'm like, uh, trying to catch myself and no, just let them explore it for themselves. And uh, maybe they stick with it longer like this than if I come in there and try and <laughs> teach I them somehow. You. Yeah. You there? Can you hear me? I'm, I'm, yep. It was just, yep. uh, we, we had just a, about a second blip there, but I'm right back with you. Okay. Yeah. No, I was just saying how I agree with that. Letting people, yeah, find the find the things for themselves. That's the way to to go. Hey, Ted, I think we'll leave it at that. We've been chatting for a while. I'm sure we could keep going it, but um, I'll let you get on with your day. And yeah, thank you very much for for uh, spending the time with me today. Really nice to get to know you. Well, I, I appreciate it, Simon. I, I think you uh, appreciate what you do. Uh, uh, with your podcast and, and spreading the word about uh, Greenwood Spoon Carving. And uh, I've, I've really enjoyed it. So thank you so much. Yeah, great. Thank you very much. See you next time. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you want to follow the work of Tad, you can find him on Instagram at Tad underscore William underscore Kepley. If you want to follow my work, you can find me on Instagram also at Rootsboom. If you do enjoy these podcasts, you can support it by leaving a rating or a review wherever you listen to the podcast, or you can buy one of my Endless Possibilities Spoon Carving t-shirts from the link in my bio. Thanks. Happy carving. <laughs>